True mental toughness is the ability to keep taking action when all hope seems lost. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and today I have a special guest, and this book is launching here on March 8th, and I've already, you see all my tabs, Flying in the Face of Fear, Colonel Kim Casey Campbell served in the Air Force for 24 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. Kim is a keynote speaker and best-selling author of sharing her story about life-changing combat experience while weaving in ideas and lessons about leadership, teamwork, perseverance, and decision-making in stressful environments. Kim's new book, Flying in the Face of Fear, A Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage, will be available on March 8th. And I was so excited because I got to have the book ahead of time, Kim, and thank you for serving your country. And now that you've been retired and, uh, but I was, you know, on Twitter and I saw you had Ask a Fighter Pilot Friday and I thought I'm going to jump on. She doesn't know me yet, but I have questions to be had. So <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Kim, for me, when I started reading the book, I wanted to just dive in and just if you can take yourself back to the moment you decided that the Air Force Academy was where you wanted to be. Yeah, it's going to go back a little bit, uh, because for me, that was in fifth grade. Uh, I think it was about 10 years old. This was 1986. So there, I've just dated myself completely. But um, it actually happened because of the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And um, I think many people, um, at least in our generation, probably remember where they were, um, or at least recall the moment of hearing about the Space Shuttle Challenger, because for me, it was this excitement, this thrill of the launch, and then really devastation after it ended in a terrible tragedy. But I think something in that moment, it just connected with me in some way, which I know is a little bit strange. I mean, this idea of going, you know, to be in space, but knowing that it's something so important to you that you're willing to give your life for it. And I don't know, mm-hmm. there's just something for me. I still struggle today to even really make sense of it all. But I, I realized that the astronauts died doing something that they believed in that was bigger and more important than themselves. And that just resonated with me, even at 10 years old. Uh, and so I decided after watching that and having some conversations with my parents that I wanted to be an astronaut someday. And the way to get there and my idea for that path was to go to the Air Force Academy and become a fighter pilot. And, and it's amazing that it could be in a sheer moment because, you know, in the book, you talk about beauty pageants were, were the thing prior to that. And yeah. all of a sudden you had this realization that there's something bigger out there. Yeah, I um, it, my parents always told me it was like I just flipped the switch, you know, where I wasn't all that interested in school. You know, I was just kind of I don't know, along for the ride and trying different things, but not really sure of what I wanted. And they said it was like, I flipped a switch. I made that decision and they never had to ask me about doing homework again. It was just like automatically for me that I had to strive this desire, this big goal that I knew I had to work hard if I wanted to get, to get after it and achieve it. Yeah. And I heard that your dad, you know, he had moments, you know, where he wasn't sure that you were ready. Yeah. And there is one incident, and I'd have to flip through my tabs here. There was one incident that he suddenly like, she's serious. Yeah. And I need to help her work on this. Can, can you share with us a little bit about that one? Yeah. So my dad is a graduate of the Air Force Academy, and he, um, I think he was a little hesitant about like his little girl going to the Air Force. And I, I think part of this is when he was there, there were no women. And I think it was just hard for him to realize, like, did I really have what it takes? Was I tough enough? You know, was I willing to commit everything I had? And then I think this was maybe my junior year of high school. 
and I was, I was running cross country. I was a cross country runner and this was our, I think our league finals. And at the start of the race with cross country, everybody's kind of jammed in. You're all vying for a spot out front and, you know, waiting for the gun to sound for you to take off and, and run. And that launch went and we all packed as fast as we could to try to get out in front and somebody stepped on the back of my shoe and it came off. There was this half second of hesitation of like, do I stop? I mean, there's this pack of runners. Do I stop and get my shoe? I could barely, I couldn't even see it. So I was trying to figure out how I would even do this. I'd have to take the time. This is all happening a matter of like a second here. Um, and then I was like, well, I'll just keep running uh, because I didn't, I didn't want it to hold me back. I didn't want to lose. And so I thought, well, how, you know, how bad could it be? I'll just keep running. Uh, so I, I decided to run the entire cross country race without the shoe, which may or may not have been the best decision because it was, uh, by the time I finished the race, which I did finish, I, I would not say that I won, uh, in any <laughs> category, but I finished the race and, uh, ended up with a pretty bloody and blistered foot as a result of it. But my mom was there watching the race and she happened to call my dad afterwards and was like, you are not going to believe what your daughter just did. And she relayed the story to my dad. And I think it was that moment where my dad was like, hmm, I guess she is tough enough. So there was some goodness that came out of that other than getting crutches and uh, hobbling around for a couple of weeks on a, a pretty damaged foot, but it was worth it. Yeah, because that takes perseverance right then and there. And to know that it's like, okay, I'm not going to let anything hold me back. And um, it's very inspiring. And, you know, you mentioned that there wasn't female fighter pilots. And how does it feel to know that today you are a role model that women are looking up to to defy the odds in leadership and in different roles? I'll tell you what, I don't know that I embraced that role initially. I think for me, it was just about survival and getting through. And, you know, there had been a few women that had come before me, um, but I was the only woman in my fighter squadrons for a very long time. And I just wanted to be a fighter pilot. I didn't want to be this female fighter pilot. I just wanted to be known as a good pilot that did a good job. Um, but over time, I think... It was pointed out to me, uh, I didn't come to this on my own, but it was pointed out to me that I could make a difference. I could make an impact for young girls and young women and women just to see that somebody else can do it, that, you know, not just be a leader and a fighter pilot, but now I also have a family, you know, I'm a mom and a wife, so I could do these things. Right. It wasn't always easy, but I could do these things and I could be an example for others. You so know, it's taken me time to embrace that role. Though. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and as a mom, especially people are like, wow, like she can still have what her dream was and still have a family and lead in that way, because it's a total different leadership. Your kids end up socializing you as well. Yes. And yeah. uh, it, and it's, you know, it is not easy. And, but I think any career path you take when you're trying to do multiple things at once, it's hard. And having somebody to talk to. I mean, I'm just, I love mentoring um, young girls and women just to share my experience. I think about all the people that have shared their experiences and their stories with me and what an impact it has made on my life. And so even though I didn't embrace it initially, I very much feel a responsibility now. And again, like, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in the book, there's no singular recipe to success. And something I wanted to read here is when we take action in critical moments, when we persevere despite the difficulty, then we are positioned to create a culture of courage and an environment of trust that builds deeper relationships, inspires loyalty, and enables our teams to perform at their best. And that's just in the prologue. And I was just like, okay, I'm diving, <laughs> diving right in. And you know, one of the, the really big things that stood out, and again, this is again from the prologue that I want to share with everybody, um, Kim, that you talk about revealing the human side of leadership, about holding ourselves accountable, having those difficult conversations, and making decisions even when we don't have enough perfect information. And one of the things that I know probably in the past few years, but for everyone at any point in time, 
there's always this level of uncertainty. And I would love for you to just share with us a little bit of how you've dealt with uncertainty in, you know, and having the human side of leadership, because I don't think we talk about it enough. Yeah. And it's not something that I, you know, I, it's not something I started with. It's something that I learned over time was just, you know, this idea of people really just want to see you for who you are. I think if there was something good that came out of the pandemic and operating from home was this idea of sharing a little bit more about us and who we are as a, as people and human beings and, and parents and spouses and, you know, pets coming in the room. Like it just made us human. It made us relatable. Um, for me, I think I had this idea initially that as a leader, I had to put on this tough exterior, you know, that I was a combat proven fighter pilot. You know, this is what it was about. I had to set the example and it turns out that's really not what my team wanted. That's not where they connected with me. And it took my three-year-old son to teach me this lesson because prior to taking command of my very first squadron. So this is about 150 people. Um, it, a change of command ceremony happens. It's a big formal event. There's people come in from around like the local area. My friends and family had flown in just a very big formal event. And my husband and my son were there in the front row and about, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes in the ceremony, I looked down at my son and I can tell he is just totally bored out of his mind. Like he is just wants no part of this anymore. So I give him, you know, that little smile, trying to encourage him. And he looks at me, smiles back, and then he stands up. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what are you doing? And he takes a little couple steps towards me. And I'm starting to get this feeling of like nervousness coming on, like, this is not part of the script, right? This is not part of this very formal ceremony. Right. And my, my boss, my new soon to be boss is giving a very, you know, important speech about leadership and leading a team. And I am not paying attention to him at this point, because I'm looking at my son now, who is now taking these small steps toward the stage. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so my husband and I are now doing this, like what I call this silent communication thing, where I'm looking at him thinking like, you should do something. And he's looking back at me thinking, I'm not doing anything because we could have like a meltdown right here in front of everyone. My son is oblivious to all of this because he continues to take steps towards the stage and eventually walks up right on stage and sits in my lap in the middle of this big formal ceremony where I'm in uniform, there's an airplane behind me, you know, just very big formal event. And my son is sitting in my lap. There is part of me that is just terrified of like what my team is thinking about me that, you know, here I am supposed yeah. to be this leader of 150 people and I can't control my three-year-old son. What I realized in that moment was how important it was, you know, as I'm looking at my son in my lap, who's just content as can be, it's this idea that it's important for my team to see me for who I am, right? I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a fighter pilot, I'm a leader, I'm all of these things. And that's okay, right? That is that yeah. human side of leadership. I was still really worried about what my team was thinking, but the next few days, it was like the highlight of the ceremony. Everybody was talking about it. And what I realized, it connected me with them in a way that I never could have done myself. And it took my three-year-old to teach me that lesson. Wow. Because it could have really backfired. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, thinking my, about that meltdown. Well, yeah. And that probably wouldn't have, you know, maybe has been as nice of a story, <laughs> but you know, this idea that, you know, you can still be this strong leader and have this compassionate side as well. And I think that's what makes good leaders. You can be tough, but you also can be kind, right? You can deliver bad news and do it in a very kind and compassionate way. Right. I think that's all part of this human side of leadership. And, you know, when it comes to leadership, there's a lot of different things and we have to adapt on the fly. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> but you talk about adjusting for the wins and headwinds yeah. are obstacles we need to overcome. Tell, tell us a little bit about your analogy with the headwinds and how it translates to the challenges we face. Yeah, I, so, you know, I think we, we all face different challenges in our lives. And I think about it for me, it, it's sometimes helpful to do it in aviation terms and how I can adjust and react 
you know, headwinds when you're in an airplane, if you think about flying, you know, from one end of, of a country to another, whichever one it may be, um, if you have headwinds, it is going to take you longer to get there, right? It's, and it potentially could delay you. Um, you may even have to stop and get more fuel if the headwinds are that bad. But in an airplane to take off, the only way you can take off is into the wind. It gives you lift. It gives you, you know, and the ability to take off and launch. And so that's what I kind of look at sometimes these headwinds that I have faced in life, challenges, failures, mistakes, you name it. Yes, they can slow me down. They can be frustrating, but they also give me lift because every hard thing that I've done when I look back has made me better at doing hard things. It has made me stronger on the other side. Um, so I try to remember that, you know, sometimes those things really feel hard. They feel frustrating. They can feel even devastating. It's all about what we do with them that really matters. And, you know, one of the things that you also um, talk about a lot in, in the book, or there's a chapter actually, is about that preparation for those hard things. Yeah. And planning for the contingencies and an integral part of your training before you even get in the plane. Yeah. So, so I'd love, you know, one of the things that you also talk about chair flying and visualization. How mm -hmm. important is visualizing your goal or visualizing what you're needing to do play a part in not only flying the plane, but how it can be translated also into leadership? Yeah, I think it's everything. <laughs> I, for me, like the only way I feel like I have survived my life, my career has been through preparation and putting in the work in advance because when we prepare, when we put in the work, when we do the research, when we sit down and think through something by visualizing, um, it's like a, it's like a freebie, right? We get a chance to think through a situation that is likely causing us stress in some way. We can think about it. We can visualize it. We can think about a positive outcome and visualize the positive outcome and think about how we get there. The thing for me that really made the difference was I also thought about the negatives, like what could happen, what could go mm -hmm. wrong. I never, uh, like I wouldn't wallow in that or stay there, but I want to think about, okay, let me just think about a little bit of the worst case scenario. What could happen in that situation? And then the most important piece is like, what would I do in that moment? How would I react? How would I respond? Right. And then I would let it go. You know, then I would just focus on that positive outcome. Uh, for me, that process of preparation practice. And for me, this visualization was what we call chair flying which is just a pilot preparation technique for preparing for a mission where you sit in a chair and you might even have the cockpit taped to a wall, which we did in many cases today, they use virtual reality. Yeah. But for me, it was just visualizing this mission, talking through radio calls, thinking through the scenario, really just visualizing the mission in advance. And by doing that one, I felt, I found those areas where like it wasn't, where I wasn't great, right? Where I needed a little bit more research. I needed a little bit more work. And then I also just, it gave me a sense of peace really of like, I've got this. I know this, I know my stuff and I can do it. And the stuff that I didn't know, I went back and read and researched and then did it all over again. I think that's what helped me be successful. That is what gave me a sense of confidence because I became more competent by doing that. Right. And I, and I also know that you had to be open to keeping that growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks about in her book yes. and it, that knowing that mistakes are that help you grow because there was one critical mistake that happened by shutting down the wrong engine. Oh yeah. But thankfully that just so nobody gets scared here, this was in a simulator this <laughs> yes. was in training, um, but this happened very early in my training. Yeah. And one of the things that they teach us as we become fighter pilots is that how to recover from mistakes also how not to make them, uh, but also how right. to recover them. So we practice emergency procedures, right? We go through those worst case scenarios over and over and over again, specifically ones that could have pretty bad consequences in the airplane. One of the things that is not so great in the airplane is when you lose an engine. We have two airplane, two engines on the airplane that I flew, the A-10 Warthog. So we had two engines, which is good. Uh, but in this situation, in the simulator, like I knew the emergency was coming. I knew that I was going to lose an engine. And part of the process is when you, you have an engine failure, a fire, you shut down 
that engine. You you shut it shut it down to make sure that no further damage is done to the rest of the airplane. So I get this indication that the engine is having trouble. There's smoke coming out of the engine, and I'm in such a rush to what I think is do the right thing. But I'm in such a rush because I know I have to act quickly. This is an emergency, and I shut down the wrong engine. So now I have an engine that is smoking and an engine, a very good engine that I just shut down. And I knew it, like I knew it as soon as I did it. And I, it, I think it was like this, I felt such defeat. Like I knew this was coming and I still did the wrong thing. And my simulator, the instructor just paused the simulator and was like, hey, take a deep breath. Sometimes slower is faster. You just shut down the wrong engine new day, new jet, let's do it again. He was just so calm. Like, apparently this happens all the time, especially with new <laughs> students. You're right. I know, but this was a simulator. I got to practice and I learned a very valuable lesson. And now I want to ask you, how has slowing down to speed up actually benefited you throughout the rest of your career? Yeah, so many times. I mean, I think about it, one, as a mom, right, as a parent, um, maybe even as a spouse, right? Sometimes we get frustrated or angry in a situation. And usually the next thing that comes out of our mouth is maybe not the best thing. Um, and so I've learned to just in that moment when I'm feeling a little bit of that tension, um, I have a teenager, so maybe that explains some of it, but just, I take a deep breath, like just take a minute to think about my response. And I find that, um, when I'm much more composed when that happens, but I'm likely what I'm going to do next is the right decision versus maybe the wrong one that's based on an immediate sense of emotion of just being angry or frustrated in the moment. Um, I also think about it as a leader. You know, there's been times where someone has brought me maybe negative information or, you know, things weren't going quite as we planned. And, you know, and believe me, I haven't always gotten this right. I've had those moments where I've done the wrong thing and kind of felt that guilt and you know, had to kind of go back and apologize. Like that was not a great response. You know, that wasn't my best self. Right. And so I've learned over time that like, when I get that negative information, when, you know, when I kind of get the mm, things aren't going so well, it's like, okay, let's just take a step back, take a deep breath, think about the situation and think about the best way to respond. Um, right. Because sometimes when we, you know, when we, we take an immediate reaction, it can be the wrong one and it can compound the problem for sure. As it right. did in my case. You know, I've also had a personal experience where, you know, you get an email and I'm, you know, you're ready to respond. And I had been yes. talking to a supervisor. She's like, note to self, you do not need to respond right away. Yeah. Don't type angry for sure. <laughs> yeah. No caps. But slowing down, like, you know, people don't think that slowing down to speed up is actually beneficial, but it, it helps in so many different ways, whether it's coming back from a, you know, a failure, which you have grown and learned, or whether it's been, you know, just a shift in trajectory and, you know, simulation and visualization definitely help us in preparation for future events. Um, I want to also talk about when, you know, you have a wingman, wingman culture that you talk about in the book. And, you know, there's a part here that says if a teammate wasn't pulling their weight or wasn't making the cut, then it is our responsibility to help them meet the standards, to raise their performance in order to elevate the performance of the team. Yeah. Just can you share with me a little bit more about that? Because, um, you know, I, I don't always see that in organizations or businesses that, you know, someone's struggling to find out what that is or how we can support them. So I really like to hear more about the wingman culture. Yeah. You know, I think it's part a wingman culture to me is part of knowing that you're, you're part of an organization. Your, your role is critical to shared success, right? You're part of something that is bigger and more important than yourself. And everyone's role is critical. So if someone is not pulling their weight or, you know, is struggling a little bit, then why not help them so that the team performs better, right? Take, figure out what's going on. I mean, it could be a personal reason, like something's going on in their family or their life that maybe you can help with or get them help with. But, you know, if they're not pulling their weight, then 
maybe they just need a little bit of help. Like, what could you do to help them out? You know, are they struggling with briefings or presentations? Whatever it is, you know, take the time to to meet with them and talk with them and figure out what's going on. I think, you know, sometimes we're very quick to rush to judgment about people's behavior when in reality, we could just figure out what's going on and what we can do to help as not just as leaders, but as team members too. Um, and we found in the fighter squadron as wingmen, you know, well, you could just push someone aside and be like, well, they're not a good pilot. Don't want to fly with them until it comes time to the point where you have to fly with them and they're part of the team. So why not lift them? It's this whole idea of lifting others to elevate the performance of the team. Right. And then if you're put in that position to fly with them, like they need to have your back. So you need to be able to support oh, yeah. each other. Yeah. I mean, ideally they, they have your back, right. And you have theirs. It's a, it's this mutual feeling of, of mutual support of providing each other that support, which right. then ensures that the success of the team, the success of the mission. Yeah. Well, you've been in a lot of stressful environments and I know you talk about how you make decisions in stress but how is it that a leader need how can they be the calm in the chaos of that as well because people are obviously looking to the leader what well, what are they going to do how, how are they going to compose themselves you know I I'm grateful that I've had some really incredible leaders um, throughout my time um, in the service and I think, you know, I got to see from them and some of these really high stress missions, these really difficult scenarios, how they were just calm and they, they expected a lot of us. They, you know, they demanded that we perform at a very high level, but they just had this sense of calm that, that made us feel calm too. You know, I think about, um, a mission where I was pretty stressed out because it was my first time refueling. So getting fuel in an airplane while airborne. And um, we were over the ocean and if I couldn't get fuel, if I couldn't do it right, then we would have to divert. We wouldn't be able to continue with the mission. So I was really nervous. And I think my flight lead, my wingman, right? In this situation, he could sense that, he knew it. He was well more experienced than me. And he just took this you know, he, very calm, soothing voice and told me, as I'm pulling up to the tanker, just right behind the tanker, really nervous. And I've got this, like what I call a depth grip on the stick where I'm just holding really tight, just very nervous. Yeah. And he just calmly says over the radio, Hey, Casey, my call sign, wiggle your fingers and toes. And I was like, Oh, you know, he, he knows what I'm feeling, right. He can relate. Cause he's probably been there, but he's just trying to get me to just like take a deep breath, right. Wiggle my fingers and toes, just relax. Um, and that one little phrase, that one little moment stood out to me because one, it made me realize that he connected with what I was going through, but he also gave me an idea, right. Of, of how to relax. And I think that's the thing as leaders is people are watching you. And so in that stressful, chaotic moment, are you, are you screaming? Are you yelling? Are you putting more pressure on people? Or are you like, Hey, we've got this, we've done the work. We've put in the work. Yes, it is chaotic. I will acknowledge that. Yes, it is a bit stressful, yeah. but we've got this. Here's how we're going to move forward in kind of a calm and collected way. One of the things I want to acknowledge and also that in admiration, complete admiration is the wiggle, the fingers and toes, but also, you know, the slow down, mm -hmm. take a deep breath. You know, all of these are bringing us mindfully to the present moment knowing that that's the only moment that we can control. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we take for granted because we're looking what's going to happen next. And, you know, the anxiety and the nervousness comes from what's next versus if I can get myself to be in this moment, yeah. I don't have to worry about what's next because it, it will just automatically flow from there. So why is consistency so important as a leader? Well, I think your team is, you know, they're watching to see how you respond. They want this consistency of, of calmness, of trust, of credibility. Um, but I, I also think that consistency breeds trust, right? When you're consistent, mm -hmm. they see that you treat people the same, that you're, you know, kind of have this way about you. It creates trust. It, it helps build connections because they see consistent behavior, consistent response, um, that doesn't mean you can't adjust and change, by the way. I mean, because we do adjust and change for the situation, right. but it helps trust in an organization to be consistent, to follow through, right? When you say you're going to do something that you actually follow through and do it. 
Yeah. Even when you're talking to the lowest, lowest levels of your organization to be consistent, to follow through, uh, I think is critically important. Yeah. Because nobody wants to have that unpredictableness of what the leader is going to do because then they don't know what they need to do. Right. It creates chaos and you're a little unsure of your roles and expectations, your responsibility. It can, it can just create a, a lot of problems. So how do you help your team continue to improve uh, where there is a focus of learning from past experiences? So we, one of the things that we do after every mission, and I'll talk flying first, and then I'll talk about how I've used this in kind of my everyday life as well. Um, But we learned very quickly that the way after a mission, we debrief, we take the time to walk through the mission, our objectives, And when we debrief, we actually check rank at the door, right? We check our ego at the door so that the youngest members, the least experienced members, the junior members of the team can provide feedback to the more senior members in the team. And we do talk about our objectives and what we did well so that we can repeat it again. But we also, as you mentioned, we talk about the mistakes we made and we really drill down into the root cause of those mistakes. Sometimes it's easy to blame an individual, but it's that constant like almost like a toddler, but why, why, why? And really drilling down into the root cause. And then you can pull the lessons learned. And then the key is, you know, what are you going to do differently the next time? Um, And then the whole idea is that you have an open sharing and open discussion so that you can make the team better. Um, For me, the next step is then you got to share that with people so that the people just in that room don't learn from it, but everybody else can learn from it too. Um, But I learned that in flying. And then I realized over time as a leader, it was very beneficial. This idea of a debrief was a great tool um, for helping this focus on continuous improvement, right? To normalize mistakes so that people see it as learning instead. Uh, I think that very much starts with the leader being able to admit their own mistakes and just not freaking out, right? And when a mistake happens, being that consistency, the calmness of being able to say, we made a mistake. Let's take some time and learn from it so we don't do it again. Um, I've used that in leadership. I've also used it with my family. It's just been very helpful as a way to kind of figure out like in this crazy, dynamic, ever-changing environment, how can you remain flexible? How can you adapt and overcome and learn from those past experiences? Right. Because I think that checking the ego, checking the title at the door being able to be in a room where everybody has a common cause of what they need to know, like how, how else will we learn, especially people who, you know, are new to the squad as well, you know, how am I expected to learn if I don't have that experience yet? And yet when I get thrown into that experience, I could be pulling from people that I've learned from. Yeah. And I think about all the people that were willing to be vulnerable, right. To have the courage to be vulnerable, to share those experiences with me throughout my career, throughout my life, really, you know, that helped me that in that moment when I needed it, I could reflect back on the lessons that were shared with me. Um, And I think it's, it's sometimes hard for us to do that because you know, sometimes those mistakes, right. It it exposes a little bit of weakness. It exposes that you made a mistake, but those lessons help make other people better. And I think that's just, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. And that's why I very much believe that if a leader can step up and do that, then the team will follow their lead. Mm -hmm. And there's so much power in the stories that we share. Can you think of one instance where you needed to be vulnerable, even though it was very uncomfortable with your team? You know, I think when we share that we've made a mistake or a wrong decision, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of a hard thing to do. And I, I think back to um, a time when I was a commander leading a team. Um, this was, gosh, this was a team of about a thousand people. And I had some, um, some team members who were uh, down at a deployed location. And I made a decision with a lot of input from other people and a lot of feedback, you know, I, this wasn't my area of expertise. This actually concerned our firefighters and the number of firefighters that we had. And we really, we, you know, we had meetings, we had discussions and I made a decision to reduce the number based on our, some financial constraints and then just how much they were being used. Um, 
when I went to visit them a few different times, I just could sense this stress and frustration and overwork and overwhelm. And I realized that it was the wrong decision. I had reduced too far. Right. Um, and you know, that was my decision. Yes. I had input from team members, but that was my decision and it was the wrong one. I mean, it, the plain and simple, it was just the wrong right. one. Um, and so I sat down with the team and I said, look, um, you know, one, I had to go back to my leadership and ask for more money, um, and tell them that I had made the wrong decision. I had cut too far. The thing is they like, they were like, okay, we got it. Like I ex- walked them through everything and they were like, well, you tried it. It didn't work, you know? And I got, I guess it was more respect versus I was a little scared of kind of how they would react. Yeah. Um, But I, you know, I had everything together and I explained it, but acknowledging that to my team. Also, I realized in that moment, I mean, I got so many messages and and responses from that, from my team, just saying, we appreciate that you had the courage to say you made the wrong choice. You made the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And we're so appreciative that you could come back and say, you know, and fix it really. Yeah. Um, but that was hard. You know, it was, I mean, it was my fault a hundred percent. And uh, I think that's one thing is that we have to own those mistakes. We own those decisions. And, um, and I, I think in the end, our team will respect us more for that. Right. And one of the things that you do talk about, you know, you can be as prepared as ever. Yeah. Um, and also that, you know, even when you're making a decision, you don't have perfect information, or you might even think that you do, and you can still not make the right decision. And one thing that, you know, I think about when it comes to decision making, there's always more decisions after that. And there's always yes. more questions <laughs> after that. Yeah. So it's never that one thing that impacts everything. Yeah. It's not like this one and done, right? Like you made the decision, that's yeah. it. You know, it's it's kind of an assessment uh, along the way, right? You make a decision based on the best information you have. Sometimes there's a lot of uncertainty. You don't have perfect information. You're making the best decision you can. Mm-hmm. You run with it and then you assess it and you go, well, you know, it's not quite going the way I planned, you know, and it's, <laughs> that is okay. I mean, it is okay to assess yeah. and then adapt and overcome. I mean, I think that's all part of it. Um, and sometimes we're just afraid to do that. Like, that it's going to look bad, that we go back on our original decision. And I mean, it's just all part of the process. Yeah, exactly. Give ourselves some grace. I mean, we don't always get it right. We're not perfect. Uh, You know, and that sometimes is hard. It's a hard acknowledgement. Yeah. And I think as a parent, um, like I remind my children, they're young adults now. And I'm like, you didn't come with a manual. I didn't come with a manual. And we're both doing this for the first time. So I love that. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I'm, I am doing the best I can. I know I don't always get it right, but I am doing the best that I can. Yeah, exactly. So I would love for you to share because, you know, I was reading the book. I'm like, yes, Casey stands for killer, killer chick. chick. And I would love for you to share with us how that, you know, you get the call signs um, and uh, what what's involved in that process. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody's seen Top Gun, the new one or the old one, they likely remember a few of the call signs like Maverick and Goose and Iceman. I don't know. Those are the fun ones that come to mind. Yeah. Um, but every fighter pilot gets a call sign and it really is a, no, no, it's a big culmination point for us because at least in our community, it's a sign that you are now ready to go to combat, right? You have achieved all this training. You are done. You're checked off. Uh, you can now deploy to combat. So you're really now part of the team. And so there's a bit of a celebration. And for us, it generally happens on the Friday, on a Friday night in the bar, uh, in the squadron. And, um, but it's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big ceremony. And when you get a call sign, you're not actually part of the discussion. They send you out of the room and all the other fighter pilots will talk about you and things you've done in the unit, how you've flown, uh, it's a little bit nerve wracking to know they're all in there talking about you. And for me, I was the only woman in the squadron. So I just had no idea what I was going to walk back into. But uh, I walked back into this room, you know, to cheers erupting. Uh, and they told me that my call sign was now killer chick, which, you know, they said KC for short, which is also my initials. So a lot of people just assume it's my initials, but yeah. killer chick, part of being the only female in a fighter squadron. Um, but it was a it was a fun, it was a really fun night. And it was also this, I don't know, this almost this recognition of who I was, right? Mm. A woman in the fighter squadron, but also a, a really a sense of respect from the other fighter pilots in my squadron as well. 
you know, and I like how you say the respect. And one of the things that comes to mind, and as I was reading, you know, in in leadership or in life, you know, sometimes we receive feedback that, you know, we don't need to prove ourselves to anyone. You have what it takes. Yeah. Yet along the way, there is this needing, I don't know if it's a validation, but it's, there is this proving that you can do the work. Yeah. So, you know, I, w- I would love for you to touch on that because I know it's a different distinction of proving yourself worthy. Yeah. Or it's not a worthiness, I guess. But to show that you have the skill set, the talent, yes. the ability to do the work versus proving that, well, I'm here, I, c- I can do this kind of thing. Yeah. It's a different mentality. So I'd love for you to sh- shed a little bit more light because I-, I know it's a little bit woven in, you know, to the process of how you became the fighter pilot. Yeah. And I struggled with it initially, right? I This wasn't an easy thing for me because walking into this fighter squadron on day one, like I put a lot of pressure on myself. Like I knew I had to prove myself. And like you just said, I mean, there is that, I mean, any new person that comes into a team in an organization, like people are kind of watching, like, how are you going to perform? You have, there is a little bit of proving yourself in terms of credibility and capability. Um, but I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I probably put pressure on myself that wasn't there from anyone else. It was pressure for me. And I felt like if I made a mistake or if I didn't meet expectations that I was letting people down and that these are my words, that I would ruin it for all the women that followed me. And that is a lot of pressure to put on, on yourself. Um, and I, I mean, I knew I would stand out, but to me, it was all about like, all right, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to prove myself, prove that I'm credible and capable in the airplane. And so it was just all about like putting in all this effort chair flying, visualizing every night before every mission. I don't know that that mattered based on my gender, right? That was just a new wingman, a new team member to a unit that had to prove Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, So I, you know, I just, I took it as almost like a challenge for me of like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to maintain a good attitude through it all. And I'm going to prove that I'm credible and capable in this airplane. Um, But that was my pressure, right? That's the pressure that I put on myself. Yeah. But in the end, like the guys in my squadron, they didn't care if I was a male or female pilot. They really just cared that I was credible in the airplane. Um, And our jet certainly doesn't care about the difference. So yeah, that was more pressure that I put on myself. And the respect as you being a leader in a, you know, primarily male dominated field by title as well, they needed to also show that respect. Yeah. You know, and I, I think you know, is there, I guess, you know, now that you say it, it is interesting. Cause I always felt like as a new leader, right. When you, when you come into a team and you're the new leader and everybody else has been there, like there is a little bit of like, hmm, they're kind of watching and waiting to see what you do. And, right. you know, are they going to connect with you or not? What are they going to think of you? And I, again, I go back to this idea of being, you know, proving your credibility in terms of, um, certainly your abilities as a leader, but I think also that human side of creating connections with people and building right. trust. Like to me, it's that showing warmth over strength idea. It is like getting to know people and showing that them, that you trust them. Like you mm-hmm. value what they bring to the table, that you value their expertise, listening to them. I mean, I think to me, that goes a long way to proving credibility as a leader, maybe just not in the traditional sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like you've been in such extreme environments from being really stressful in Afghanistan to a different environment when you come back home. Yeah. How do you find that work-life balance and is it even achievable? That's such a great question. And it's something I've, you know, I've tried to wrap my head around for years. Um, I think what I realized over time was this idea of balance, right? Like a 50, 50 balance every day. Like I just, I was like, I cannot do that. I'm not, well, first of all, I was trying and I just wasn't good at any of it. You know, I was struggling at work. I was struggling at home. I just did, there wasn't enough time in the day to do everything. Right. And I realized that, you know, some days, right? Like the balance is going to shift, right? And some days you are going to spend a lot of time at work because some, there is some critical crisis or you know, somebody needs your attention. And then sometimes at home, like there is also a crisis and, you know, a a child is sick or, you know, there's, or you want to go on a field trip with them, whatever it is. It's just, 
trying to find this long-term balance. And for me, when I think of work-life balance, I have stopped thinking about it in a day-to-day way. I have started to think about it in a long-term balance. Like over time, am I am I able to find this harmony of between my personal and professional life? And they don't all, they're not always separate, right? They come together a lot because, yeah. you know, even at work, I'm still a mom, right? I'm still a spouse. Um, so they do come together, they overlap. And it's just, I think, giving ourselves a little bit of grace that it is not always going to go like we plan. And then to not be afraid to ask for help if we need it. Um, I wasn't always good at that, but I have learned over time, like I can't do it all at once. I need help and I've got to be able to have the courage to ask for it. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I think about that balance, I think it's more about finding harmony than finding that exact balance because I, I could say it gets thrown out the window half the time for sure. 50%. It, does. it does. And you know what? We're doing the best we can and there is exactly. no manual, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, the other thing that comes, you know, I, I've closed the book now because I have all these, you know, sticky notes and I, I want people to grab the book. Um, it's just a fascinating read. And I just want to thank you for sharing all of these lessons with us. And, you know, when it, when it comes to thinking about flying in the face of fear, where does your courage come from? You've done, you know, a hundred combat missions plus, I think it was. Yes. And I'm like, every scenario you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. All you know is there's troops on the ground and you got work to do. Is, is there any time when, you know, you're, you had to have this big self-talk moment or is it every mission? Like, cause you ha- getting up and just getting on the plane is courage. Yeah. So share with yeah. us a little bit of what that feels like to be, you know, in that moment I, I know like every moment's different, but to be in the plane, knowing that you're there for something greater than yourself, but you also have, it's not that you're not human and that you're not scared or when there's a fear, like how, how what do you do in that moment for yeah. yourself? You know, I think about the fear that I felt sometimes like going on these missions that I knew were going to be hard, that I knew were going to be risky. But I also think about the moments where I have felt fear, you know, uh, becoming a new leader of a team where I'm like a little nervous. I want to do well. I want to prove myself. I think about moments as a parent where I have felt fear of just, am I doing the right thing? Like, am I getting this right? You know, I just, I think there's so many times in our life where we can feel fear. And sometimes that's a hard word for us to digest because we think it's like weakness or vulnerability, but fear is a normal reaction. And we feel fear of change, fear of the unknown, not meeting expectations. And it happens for me all the time. And, you know, whether it's fear or nervousness or anxiety, whatever level it is, what I have realized over time is that one, the preparation and the more work that I put in in advance, the more confident I feel, the more confident I feel that I am ready in that moment. But sometimes it does require that little bit of self-talk, right? Like, you've got this, you've put in the work, you know, it's that take a deep breath, just take a step back. You have put in the work, you are ready for this moment and you know, you're going to do the best you can. And, uh, I think that little bit of self-talk, that little bit of just reminder, like it is okay. Like give yourself some grace. That feeling is normal, but then you have to do something with it, right? You've got to be able to step up and act in that moment. Yeah. To me, that's the most important thing. And recognizing that fear is actually a messenger. Like it is yeah. preparation. It is, you know, if you, if you didn't have a little bit of fear, I think it would be kind of abnormal. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, I think it is. A, it's like, well, if you weren't fearful or nervous about that presentation that you have to go do, would you really put in the work? Like, would you do the practice? Yeah, exactly. You know, so I think fear and stress, it can also be a good thing. You just have to learn how to harness it to use it to your advantage. Right, right. You know, this has been just an exceptional interview. I am just so honored to have you, uh, Casey. I, I, I love that because when I, when I first saw the title of the book, I thought, oh, she just goes by her initials. And now knowing that it's your call sign and what it stands for, it just makes me even more excited to be here with you. Thank you. Um, I always ask our um, 
guests two questions near the end of our interview. What is one book that has had an impact in your life other than the one that you've written? Because I know as an author, writing your (laughs) book always has an impact. Yeah, uh, for me, it's definitely got to be Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, because it was like she, by reading her book, it almost gave me that permission that it's this idea of being brave and afraid at the same time, right? It gave right. it gave me permission that it was okay to feel fear, but I could also feel courage, right? Like it wasn't, I didn't have to be so right. hard on yeah. myself, right? Because she's done all the research. She's backed it all up, yeah. right? That it That it is normal. And if we can be this team member or leader that can be brave and afraid at the same time, like that's very powerful. And so I, I feel like the book Dare to Lead and her work has given me that permission that like it is okay and it's normal and actually it's pretty powerful. Yes, it is definitely. And you've demonstrated that throughout your leadership. And my final question for you is what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Uh, You know, sometimes I think um, we tend to put ourselves last that we tend to focus on others and sometimes where we could make the most impact is we ensure that we have passion for what we do. We take care of ourselves. We follow our passions. We find our why. And if we do that, then I think we can make a bigger impact. We can make a bigger difference. We are better humans. Uh, for me, I realized that by following my passion, by finding my purpose, by taking care of myself, that I am a better mom. I'm a better wife. I'm a better leader. And, um, you know, overall, that has been probably the biggest impact on my life. Extremely powerful lessons. Thank you so much for coming on the Millionaire Woman Show. Final question is, how can people stay in touch with you, learn more about what you do and speaking on stages? And uh, of course, the book, March 8th, it's going to be a fabulous day. And uh, please share with us. Yeah, um, I would say the best way is definitely reach out uh, via my website, which has links to everything else, all the social media. But my website is kim-kc-campbell.com. There are a lot of Kim Campbells out there, uh, especially some more well-known in Canada. Uh, But uh, kim-kc-campbell.com would be a great place. um, And that'll give you links to, to me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, as well as just a lot of information about my book, uh, as well as speaking. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, It has been an honor again. Thank you again for serving your country. And just, it's just been an honor and a privilege to have you here, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you everyone for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. I would love for you to also hop over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you're going to get a PDF of Reset Your Mindset, getting you on track to have that growth mindset and really step forward into who you are meant to be. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Kim and myself, go out and have a wonderful day. <laughs>